Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to the serialized audiobook of The Rookie, season one of the Galactic Football League series. Written and performed by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler. The Rookie is also available in print, ebook, and unabridged audiobook. For links to purchase any version, visit slash The Rookie. Quentin's room was empty save for a bed, a table with two round stools, a large vertical equipment locker, and a wide couch that sat in front of the holo tank. He sat on the couch, staring at the life-size image projected by the holotank. The current image was a human football player, his jersey a series of horizontal light blue and gray stripes. The computer droned away with stats. Kitty Lomax, third-year linebacker for the Big Diggers, named All-Pro last year, 6'10", 423 pounds. Last year accumulated 52 tackles and 12 sacks. Last clocked time in the 40-yard dash, 4.1 seconds. Quentin clicked his remote, and the image shifted to a Sklorno player, also dressed in a light blue and gray striped jersey. Arkham, fifth-year cornerback for the Big Diggers. The computer continued to rattle off statistics, but Quentin looked away from the image and stared at his blank wall. His legs gave off a subdued but ever-present burning feeling. The result of 100 laps ran for a variety of transgressions, each one as unexpected as the last. His face also burned, but that wasn't from physical exertion. It was a new feeling, and he found it quite unacceptable. A buzzer sounded, signaling a visitor at his door. The computer stopped the statistical litany. Donald Pine at your door. Enter, Quentin said. He heard the swish of the door, but didn't bother to get up. He hit the button on the remote. Arkham disappeared, replaced by a huge key lineman named Pret A. Karat. Better watch out for him, Pine said. Last year he hit me so hard, he knocked me out of the game. Quentin said nothing. Pine crossed in front of Quentin and sat down on the couch. We missed you at team dinner, kid. What's up? Gotta study, Quentin said. Hokor wants me to know all these damn players. Pine nodded. Yeah, you gotta know this stuff. But hey, you still gotta eat, right? Not hungry now. I'll have something later. The truth was, he was famished, but he had no intention of hitting the mess hall when the rest of the team was present. They had all watched him run the endless laps, all heard Hokor scream at him for various mistakes. Oh, it's no big deal. Hokor rips on all the rookies. Pine said, as if he read Quentin's thoughts. He's got to shake out the weak ones. He's going to spend most of his time busting on you because you're a quarterback. It'll get worse before it gets better. Tomorrow we do route passing, but this time against the defensive backs. And the next day's practice is full contact, so watch out for the key defensive linemen. 
Quentin shrugged. I'm not worried about some damn salamander. I just have to get these stupid players memorized. Pine's eyebrows rose up in surprise. Salamander, eh? Well, don't let them hear you say that. They'll tear your head off. Not worried about them? Ah, nose tackle. My on nickel. Weighs 650 pounds. And can bench press 1,200 pounds for crying out loud. And you're not worried? I've been on this team for two years. They're under strict orders to not hit me, and I'm worried. Quentin turned and looked at Pine. He'd seen Pine run, and the man had good reason to be worried. Quentin was faster, more agile, stronger, and just plain tougher than Donald Pine. Thanks for the advice. Now, if you don't mind, I got some studying to do. Pine shrugged. Suit yourself. You need any help, you let me know. Hey. Maybe I can talk to Scarborough, get you some after-practice reps to get used to the speed of the game. I don't need help from a cricket. Pine stared, then shook his head. Yeah, you seem so normal on the outside, I forget where you come from. Just remember, kid, those salamanders and crickets are your teammates. You may have won games single-handedly back in the PNFL, but it doesn't work that way here. Thanks, Pops, I'll remember that. Quentin clicked the remote to bring up the next player. Pine stood, shook his head one more time, and walked to the door. He stopped just as the door swished open and looked back at Quentin. Listen, kid, I'm not much for giving advice where it's not asked, but I feel you deserve to hear something. To play this game, you gotta know your history. Until the Cred Rockings took over, all the races were more likely to slaughter each other than talk, let alone work together. There's hatred here that goes way beyond anything related to sports. I'm not the greatest quarterback to ever play the game, but I figured something out a long time ago. For these Warren races to play together as a team, someone has to step up and lead. Leading in the GFL means you forget your bigotry and get along with everyone. And it's a hard job. Damn near impossible. I expect everyone to get along and play as a unit. Warburg is one thing, but you're a quarterback, and as such, people tend to follow your lead. Your racism will cause problems, and I will not tolerate that. When you play for my team, you will respect your teammates. Quentin felt his anger rising. Who the hell did this guy think he was? Your team? Keep on living in that fantasy world, Pine, and you'll be a happy man in the retirement home. Because it's not going to be your team much longer. Pine stared back, then sneered. Whatever you say, rookie. It will be your team, all right. It'll be your team when I decide to hang it up. Until then, you haven't got what it takes to be the starter, and you certainly don't have what it takes to beat me. He walked out, the door swishing shut behind him. Quentin turned off the holotank and stared at the blank wall. He hated salamanders, he hated crickets, and he hated blue boy Donald Pine. But they would all learn. The Krakens were Quentin Barnes's team now, and sooner or later, everyone would play by his rules. The second day of practice saw Quentin, Pine, and Yitzhak once again descend the lift into the orange end zone. The Sklorno receivers were there, this time in full pads, but so were humans and Quith Warriors, the linebackers, and eight new Sklorno, 
the defensive backs. All the defensive players wore black jerseys, while the offense wore orange. Did they worship Pine too? Quentin asked Yitzhak while pointing to the Sklorno defensive backs. They do, but in a different way. He leads the team, unifies us, and that makes him greater than a normal being. The receivers view catching a pass as a blessing, almost a gift from God. The defenders see a pass as a challenge given to them by God, a test of their will and physical abilities. To continuously fail to stop the passing game means they are unworthy, or eh, something like that. The three quarterbacks reached the end zone and started to warm up. Three orange-jerseyed humans jogged from the center of the field to greet them. Warburg and the other two tight ends Quinn had not yet met. Warburg gave Quentin a warm handshake. He introduced the other two men. This is Yotaro Kobayashi and Pancho Salzgiver. Quentin shook their hands. Yotaro was the biggest at 7 foot 1 and 380 pounds. He had a shaved head and three short, parallel scars on each cheek. Salzgiver had pure white skin, like Yitzhak, with ice blue eyes and white hair. At six foot ten and about 335 pounds, he was the smallest of the three. Quentin shook both of their hands. Hokor's hovercart floated down and everyone pulled on their helmets. Let's get started, Hokor shouted before his hovercart even reached ground level. Starting O, get on the goal line. We'll work the tight package. Quentin headed toward the goal line when he registered the words starting O, then remembered that he was not the starter. Pine lined up on the goal line, back facing the end zone. Tobiasho lined up as the left tight end and Warburg as the right. Scarborough lined up wide right, with Haywick two steps inside of Warburg and two steps behind him. The defensive backs showed bump and run coverage, playing directly in front of Scarborough and Haywick. Three linebackers spread out in their normal positions for a 3-4 defense. The outside linebackers were Quith, one of whom wore number 58. He was the guard that had stun-sticked Mumo Killowee into submission on the landing dock at the Combine. The middle linebacker, number 50, was human. He radiated lethality in a way Quentin had never seen or felt. Pine barked out the signals, dropped back five steps, planted and bounced a half-step forward. The receivers sprinted out on their patterns. Scarborough on an in-route, Haywick on a post, Kobayashi on a 10-yard in-hook, Warburg in the flat. The defense dropped into coverage. Sklorno defensive backs drifted into a zone, and the human middle linebacker backpedaled straight back five yards. But it was the movement of the Quith outside linebackers that shocked Quentin. They didn't run. They rolled to their positions, tucking up into a ball and rolling out, literally, to cover the flats before they popped up like some jumping spider, arms and pedipalps out and waiting. Kobayashi was open on the hook, but Pine didn't throw. He checked through his reads, one, two, three, four, then turned and gunned the ball to Warburg, who had hooked up at four yards and drifted into the flat. Warburg caught the pass and turned upfield before Hokor blew the whistle. The players lined up again. Why didn't he hit Kobayashi? Quentin asked Yitzhak. See number 50 there? That's John Tweedy, starting middle linebacker. All tier two last year. He's got phenomenal quickness. Kobayashi looked open, but even on a 10-yard bullet, Tweedy can get to the ball. He also pretends to be slower than he is. He'll do it for most of the game if he has to, to lull the quarterback into a pattern. When the ball is finally thrown to Tweedy's zone, it's because the quarterback thinks he can't get to it. 
He had six interceptions last year. Quentin looked at the bulky linebacker. Something seemed to be on his face. Scrolling letters, hard to see, but still legible under the face mask. What's up with his face? Does that say, you rookies smell like nasty diarrhea? (laughs) Yeah, probably. Tweety has a full body tattoo. A tattoo? But it's moving. Sure, it's an image implant. A lot of guys in the league have tats. You've never seen one before? Quentin shook his head. Not like that. They embed little light emitters in the skin. They can make changing patterns, words, whatever. Tweety went for the full package, complete skin coverage with this cyberlink. He can think of words and they play on his face, his forehead, his chest, wherever. Tweety stood and pointed at Pine. How's that arthritis, old man? Pine rose up from center. A little rough, Johnny. You gonna give me another rub down like you did last night? The entire team laughed, including Tweety, who flipped Pine off with both hands. Stop this human bonding nonsense, Hokor called out. Run the play! Pine settled in under center and got back to business. In the climate-ravaged world of 2072, the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. Pura is a geoengineered paradise that protects its fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. In a time when the world outside is unsafe, it's vital for Pura's existence that people rally behind the purpose of the city, and Demetria Lopez, head of the city's public relations, tirelessly promotes its idyllic image. But when she stumbles on a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch, and organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. 
shopify.com slash realm. Quentin watched carefully as the offense he'd studied on Holos and on his message board came to life. Each play had several patterns for each receiver, depending on how the defense lined up. Were they in woman-to-woman? Were they in a prevent defense? Were they in a zone defense underneath with too deep coverage over the top? At the snap of the ball, the receiver had to read the coverage and make route adjustments. These adjustments were just as planned as the original play itself. If the linebacker blitzed, the tight end changed his route from an out to a short hook. If the linebacker faded to a middle zone, the tight end kept his short hook. If the linebacker bit the run fake and came forward, then dropped back, the tight end changed from the short hook to a 15-yard streak. The quarterback had to know the patterns for every receiver, for every play, and the variations on every pattern based on the defensive alignment. On top of that, the quarterback had to know every pattern adjustment for every route based on the reaction of the defensive players at the snap of the ball. Each receiver had at least three pattern options. For a four-receiver play, that meant four patterns multiplied by around six defensive sets multiplied by three pattern options, resulting in 72 possible routes for every play. The quarterback had to read the defensive coverage while dropping back, know where his receivers were supposed to be, and usually make the decision to throw within four seconds of the snap. And that was just the beginning. Defenses did everything they could to disguise coverages, so the quarterback would think he saw one thing when in fact the defense was setting a trap. The quarterback had to be able to see through this ruse within his four seconds. The most complicated aspect of the whole thing was that the quarterback often had to read the defense and throw the ball before the receiver made his cut so the ball would be there as soon as the receiver turned. For this to work, both the quarterback and the receiver had to make the same read at the same time or the ball might sail long as the receiver turned up short for a hook pattern. And then there was the obvious factor that most football fans forgot. The quarterback had to do all of this while 600-pound key linemen and 300-pound blitzing human and quith warrior linebackers and the occasional fast-as-lightning blitzing Sklorno safety were trying to get to him and forcibly remove his head from his shoulders. And yet, the stereotype of the stupid jock had persisted for centuries. It never ceased to amaze Quentin when people thought football players were just muscle-bound morons. He'd like to see a physics professor do algorithmic calculations while being chased around by a 600-pound monster that was known for eating its enemies alive. Pine ran through all the plays, effortlessly reading every defensive adjustment. His skill clearly frustrated the defense, but at the same time, Pine usually completed passes for only a 5- or 10-yard gain. He ran through 30 plays with no interceptions, completing 22 passes but only three for 15 yards or more. Get Hokor called out in his loudspeaker. Take over! Quentin bit his lip in anger. This second-rate bench warmer was taking reps before he was. Quentin calmed himself. This early in the season, each quarterback would get the same amount of reps. Once the first game was out of the way, practice time would become so precious that very little of it could be used for second- and third-string quarterbacks. But for now... He had to bite his tongue and wait. 
If Donald Pine made the offense look easy, Yitzhak Goldman illustrated how difficult it really was. He seemed to read the defense fairly well, but he did not possess Pine's pinpoint accuracy. Yitzhak finished his 30 plays with two interceptions, 18 completions, and only two passes that went for more than 15 yards. Barnes! Okor barked. Let's see what you can do. And remember, this isn't punting practice. The defense laughed at Hokor's insult, and Quentin's face turned red. Obviously, the entire team knew of his embarrassing incident the day before. Well, they wouldn't be laughing for long. Quentin swaggered to the line. He'd watched the other two quarterbacks, and he'd watched the defenders. He knew how to run things. He lined up, feeling a surge of adrenaline pump through his veins. As Quentin bent down to start the play, the defensive players started calling out to him. Hey, rookie! John Tweedy yelled. Throw it my way, boy, and make me look good for the coach! Come on, human, called Chodo the Bright, the quith warrior that played outside linebacker. You nationalist racist scum, come make us subspecies look bad. You won't last, human, said the left outside linebacker, number 58, Virak the Mean. You're going back to your third world planet in a body bag. I should have killed you on the landing dock at the combine and just got it over with. Quentin smiled. He hadn't been taunted since halfway through his first season of football back home. It had taken his opponents that long to learn what he was all about, that no matter what they said, he was going to tear their defense apart. The defense closed in for bump and run. The cornerbacks, Brea and Davenport, lined up directly over Scarborough and Haywick, respectively. Quentin scanned through the rest of the defense, but he'd already seen what he needed to see. Hut, hut, hut! He took his strong five-step drop. Berea shoved Scarborough at the line of scrimmage, but Scarborough fought through the hit and streaked down the sideline. Quentin saw Stockbridge, the strong safety, moving over to help Berea, but it was already too late. Quentin waited, waited, then fired. The ball tore through the air on a shallow arc, hitting Scarborough in stride 30 yards downfield. Stockbridge pushed Scarborough out of bounds, a 35-yard gain. The Sklorno receivers on the sidelines hooted and clicked and jumped with excitement. You took too long, Barnes! Hokor called. You'd have never gotten that pass off! You've got to go through your reads quicker! Quentin put his hands on his hips and stared up at Hokor, who hovered 15 yards above the field in his little cart. Quentin stared for a few seconds more, then walked back to the line, shaking his head. He called out the next set, which featured one tight end and three receivers. Scarborough lined up wide to the left, Haywick and Denver to the right, Kobayashi lined up at right end. The defense quickly shifted, taking out Chodo the Bright, a linebacker, and bringing in another Sklorno defensive back. Quentin surveyed the field, running through the routes in his mind, matching them against the defensive set. Haywick was covered woman to woman by Davenport. Haywick's pattern in that coverage called for a post and Quentin didn't think Davenport could handle Haywick's speed. Quentin tapped his stomach in a quick butt-a-bap, then barked out signals and snapped the ball. He dropped back five steps, looked left to throw off the defense, then turned and launched the ball deep. As soon as he let it go, he saw his mistake. Davenport had broken off woman-to-woman and dropped into zone coverage, where she was responsible for defending a particular area of the field. Stockbridge, the strong safety, had the deep outside zone, where Quentin had thrown. 
Correctly reading the deep coverage of Stockbridge, Haywick broke off her post route and hooked up at 15 yards. The ball sailed over her head, and Stockbridge swept in for an easy interception. Tweedy let out a grating, evil, mocking laugh that sounded like a stuttering buzzsaw. <laughs> Thanks, rookie! He called out through cupped hands. You just answered Haywood's prayers! Human defenders laughed, and quivering pettipelps showed the Quith Warrior's amusement. Quentin's face felt hot under his helmet. Davenport had easily disguised her coverage by running stride for stride with Haywick until the defender reached her assigned zone coverage. It all happened so fast, seemingly twice as fast as anything happened back in the PNFL. Quentin had thrown too early. The team fell silent as Hokor's cart lowered to the field. Barnes, how many reads did you make that time? Quentin looked down. One, coach. Hokor's petty palks quivered and clearly not from humor. One, you just turned the ball over again. Relax, coach. I got it now. Hokor just stared at him with his one big eye. Run it again, he said, and his cart rose noiselessly to 15 feet and hovered behind the end zone. Quentin lined up for another stab, but his confidence had suddenly abandoned him. Things were moving too fast. He ran the same play, saw the defensive coverage, and opted for a short dump to the tight end. Even that was almost an interception. Virak the mean tightened up into a ball and rolled sideways. Not as fast as a Sklorno, but pretty damn fast. A rolling blur that popped open at the last second when the ball drew near. The next play, Quentin checked off his primary and secondary route, which were covered, and fired a short crossing pass to the tight end. As soon as he let go, he knew he'd screwed up again. Tweedy had seemed to be yards away from the play, but he stepped in front of Warburg and picked off the ball. This time, Hokor didn't come down, but it didn't matter. Tweedy's buzzsaw laughter roared across the field. You're my kind of quarterback! I just wish you were playing for the wall crawlers instead of us! It would make my job easier! Ha! Laughter and quivering pettipelps were all Quentin heard and saw. His face burned with embarrassment. You're not utilizing your arm strength. Quentin turned to see Pine next to him. Tweedy is giving you the same cushion he gives me, Pine said quietly so the defense couldn't hear. But you throw much harder than I do. If you want to shut him up, go after Tweedy again, but this time hard. These tight ends are much better than the guys you played with in the PNFL. As soon as you burn Tweedy a couple of times, he'll close the cushion, then you call crossing routes over his head. Now Pine was giving him advice as if he were some schoolboy playing pickup ball. It was the final insult. Go after Tweedy, who had just picked off a pass? Did Pine think Quentin was stupid? Pine obviously wanted to make him look bad. Get out of my huddle, Pine. I don't need any help from a blue boy. Pine leaned back as if he'd been slapped. He stared, shook his head sadly, then turned and jogged back to Yitzhak. Is Daddy helping little Quentin play the game? Tweedy called out. Quentin's patience hit a dead end. He pointed his finger at the linebacker. Shuck him and shuck you, Tweedy! Tweedy's mocking smile turned into a gleeful snarl. Well, show me what you got. So far, you ain't got nothing. I'll poke out your eyes and crap on your brain, played across Tweedy's face tattoo. 
Quentin watched it for a second, then shook his head, trying to concentrate. He ran through ten more plays, his frustration growing with each pass. He threw two more interceptions, his third and fourth of the day, one on a deep pass to Scarborough, and one where Virak the Mean rolled forward in addition to rolling sideways and sprang open right in front of a hooking Kobayashi. You've got two plays left, Barnes! Okor called out. Let's see if you can continue your ineptitude! The defense continued to taunt him. He was so mad he could barely see, barely think. This hadn't been what he'd expected at all. He lined up for his second-to-last play, a three-receiver set with Warburg on the right. Quentin dropped back, trying to read the coverage. Within two seconds, he saw that all of the receivers were well covered. He checked through the routes, but no one was open. Frustration exploded in his head as he read his last option, Warburg, on a crossing route, only to see Tweedy lurking close by. Rage billowing over, Quentin reared back and vented all of his anger on a laser blast pass. The ball was a blur as it shot forward. Tweedy sprang at it, but too late, and fell flat on his face. The ball slammed into Warburg's chest, hitting him so hard that it knocked him backward. Warburg stumbled, bobbled the ball, but hauled it in before he dropped to his butt. For the first time that afternoon, the defense fell silent. Tweedy got up slowly, staring hatefully at Quentin. Quentin blinked, his rage clearing away, one thought echoing through his head. If you want to shut them up, go after Tweedy again, but this time, hard. The receivers returned to the mini-huddle. Quentin called his last play, a two-tight end set, and made sure to include a deep crossing route behind Tweedy. At the snap, he dropped back three steps, then reared back to throw a hook to Warburg. Tweedy jumped forward much sooner than he had done all day. Quentin pump-faked, then tossed an easy pass over Tweedy's head to the crossing Kobayashi. Quentin turned and looked back at Pine, who simply smiled and shrugged. After Quentin's last pass, the team started jogging back to the tunnel headed for the locker room. Quentin stopped when Hokor called out to him. As his teammates disappeared into the tunnel, Quentin waited while Hokor's cart floated down to the field. You have to make your reads faster, Hokor said. Quentin felt embarrassed, but he couldn't argue. He felt like he was moving in slow motion. He'd finished up 10 of 30 with four interceptions, four, and only his first pass went for more than 15 yards. Who is the second starting cornerback for the wall crawlers? Hokor asked. Jake Obina, Quentin said. Great vertical leap, but not very strong and easily blocked. Two-year vet. What's her weakness? Trouble reaching maximum vertical leap during a full sprint. How do you beat her? Throw deep and high, make the receiver have to really sprint and jump to make the catch. Jake Obina usually can't match the jump if the ball's thrown correctly. Good, Hokor said. And their second string nose guard? Quentin opened his mouth to speak, then shut it. Come on, coach. He's just a lineman. All I have to do is avoid him. I don't need to know anything about him. Hokor's petty palps twitched, just once. He pointed to the sidelines. Start running. For how long? Ten laps. Come on, coach. That's crap. The petty palps twitched, and this time kept twitching. You're right. That is crap. Twenty laps. What? 
You just said 10. Did I? I thought I said 30. Yes, it's 30. Quentin clenched his jaw tight. He felt helpless, out of his element. Hokor held all the cards and would until Quentin took over the starting spot. Quentin's mouth closed into a tight-lipped snarl. Hokor stared at him another five seconds until Quentin jogged to the sidelines and started doing laps around the field. You have been listening to The Rookie, Season 1 of the Galactic Football League Series. Produced by Ariok Morningstar, with post-production by Steve Rickyberg. Written and performed by Scott Sigler. For more information on Scott and more free stories, go to scottsigler.com. Theme music is the song The Kids Are Coming For You by the band Super Weapon. Superweaponband.com. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.